Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Tri Tac Games Podcast, your podcast of supernatural adventure against evil creatures in this world and the next. This week, we're doing a special Bureau 13 episode where we're going to talk about what is the best way of running a supernatural investigation. Bureau 13's been out for, is it 30 years, John? Yeah. (laughs) And the questions are always the same. When we bring in new players and we say we're going to run an investigation, we are a group that is sort of paramilitary and sort of under the auspice of the government, but not really. And our job is to stop evil supernatural. The first question they have is, how do we do that? Okay, so obviously it's not obvious. We're here to help you with our knowledge of many years Find the quick and easy method to go from soup to nuts or from the instant report to the final cleanup. John, I don't know about your games, but in most of the of the Bureau 13 games that I've run, it always starts with an incident report. What's on your incident report, John? Depends on the situation. If it's a breaking situation, it's usually they're being interrupted in whatever they're doing at that point in time, and they're alerted. But then they're given whatever caused the, the incident, the, the alarms to trigger. Certain words were used in the broadcast that relate to a certain building or construction. I gave them the history. Literally gave them the history as the Bureau knew it, uh, what was going on in that area. Right, but first, John, there's an incident, right? There's something that's happened that the Bureau feels it has to act. Yes, if otherwise, it, it could have acted two years ago, could act two years from now. There has to be some reason why you're acting at this moment in time. And the incident report should clearly convey that to you. Oh, yeah. I would run the incident to have some vagary to it. Because if you give away too much, some of the main adventure in a horror role-playing game or even an adventure horror role-playing game or suspense game like we're talking about, a big part of it is not knowing what's going on. Uh, not knowing what you're going to run into or what to expect. So, you know, much like the X-Files, you know, Mulder and Scully show up and they, they don't really know what's going on and there's all these weird clues and stuff and they kind of kind of piece it together. And I think for a Bureau 13 game, that's imperative to having a good uh, adventure. It's sort of like if you're going to run a Cthulhu adventure, you know, they don't generally fight the monsters, they fight the cultists. You know, it's just sort of a, a staple. So in this, I, you know, I'd want to keep it as vague as possible, but also keep it creepy enough that they know that this isn't just something for the regular Joes. So in most of these instant reports, you usually have a who, as in who was the victim, who saw it happen, who was there. And then you have a what, as in what happened, what was the reported event that occurred. And you have a where. So you know where it took place. You don't know how, usually, and you certainly don't know why. But those are the things that are going to take part of your adventure. 
those three pieces of information, I think, are really critical to pass on to the players so they have something to start the adventure with. I do have an idea on the background. Okay. Blix brought up something about a bit of vagary, as in just bits and pieces that come in. Now, obviously, the keywords that come up that I believe John mentioned works. I have an idea. This is just something I thought of a couple hours ago. The Bureau would have in its employ diviners, people, mages, or psychics who get that that are with the Bureau and through visions that they may get, they may find out ahead of time about certain things that are going to happen. Let's just jokingly off the cuff call it Department Nostradamus. So just, you know, for lack of a better term. And these are people in the Bureau who would sit there and say, okay, this guy had a vision that there will be flames in the City of Angels and, okay, you know, something's going to happen in L.A. Or let's use something that Bruce could relate to. A danger in the Steel City. Okay, you mean something as bad's going to happen in Pittsburgh. That would give the players, as far as background in Bureau 13, that vagary that Blix mentioned. Right, that would give us a where. Right. And, and maybe a when. And also a what. Because but, you may say something flames. It could be pyrokineticists could be running around or maybe a dragon. or You know, just something vague enough that the players and the characters would know a little bit of what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it still keeps the mystery there where they're going, okay, we know that it's fire. But there's still several supernatural things which could be the cause of that fire. You're not going to get everything in that incident report. I mean, it is a report of what was observed or whether it was through people on the scene or through somebody's psychic vision. It may have been public, hopefully not. More often it's private, as in it was small reported and maybe it wasn't taken seriously because of the supernatural aspects of it. Uh, I had a technique that I used, which was I had a guy, he sat in a room and there was a telephone. It was one of those old type telephones. Every once in a while, he'd reach down, he'd pick up the phone and put it to his ear. And usually all he got was a dial tone. But every once in a while, he'd pick up the phone and there'd be a connection. And there'd be somebody asking for help or crying or something. And he'd be like, hey, it's okay. Look, uh, I don't know who you are, but I can help. Tell me what happened. And he was one of the ways that the Bureau got information without going through any kind of a police or reporting channel. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. This gives you a person for you to build the adventure around because they're the primary contact on the other end of the phone. Yeah, I've been running an adventure on the monkeys took my jetpack. The first one, it was an alert through a bulletin board the Bureau maintains for people to post stuff. 99% of the stuff is people making jokes and so forth, but there's that 1% that comes through and the Bureau's filters pick on and say, that's real. This is a real person, and it gets flagged and it gets sent out to the nearest available team. The other one, a suspect house, suddenly has people attack each other and almost kill each other in the process, and they don't know why they did it. This house has been known for psychic behavior, but never enough for a full investigation. Now something's happening that requires a full investigation. So you have an incident, and the team has to act on it. So what information needs to be in that incident report or now available to the team before they can effectively go out and start investigating. 
Lex? Yeah, like you said, there's going to have to be a where. So they got to have somewhere to go investigate. I don't know, an alley where the incident occurred or an apartment complex, the wastewater treatment plant. Right. But you have to have a where. Okay. So how do you get that where? What, in, in the report? No, I'm saying, okay, you have a report, and it's, it's, it's a chemical plant on, in, on the Delaware River. Mm-hmm. If you're a team member, what's the first thing you're going to start asking for once you know that? If you can get blueprints, that's always a bonus. Excellent. Blueprints? Yeah. That's as easy as people would like to think it is. But, uh, you know, it's a role-playing game, so why not? I would think the city records building of a city would have things like oh. that. Oh, yeah, a wastewater treatment plant, yes, but an apartment complex, not so much. Yeah, yeah, it would depend on how civil the place in question would be. Th- those records generally aren't kept somewhere where anyone can just get them. They're usually in someone's office who designed the architecture or something, you know. Right. But the point of the matter is, you, if you can get floor plans, great. That's probably not as it's going to happen as often as you would like. Right. But you're going to want an address, right? Right. You're going to want an address. And if you have an address, what can that what can that give you? Well, that can give you who owns it. You can get a Google Maps picture. You I was going to say maps of the area is really right. good, even if well, just to know. Okay, we need to park this far away to not attract attention. Oh yeah. Or if we need an escape route this way. Will this alternate way will do real well? Right. But we are talking about Bureau 13, so and we're talking about a horror type adventure. So one of the things you're really going to want to know is who owns the building because that plays into a lot of adventures. Also, not only who owns the building, but who owned the building? Right. Past tense. Yeah, true. Maybe the, the present owners are just the unfortunates who are stuck with the walls that bleed during the middle of the night. And if it's some kind of like haunting type thing or, or it's like, you know, the, the situation is really creepy, you might want to know what was there before any buildings were there before. So it's just sitting on an old grave site. Oh, so do you think that information should be available immediately when they're first starting the adventure? Depending on the characters you're playing, but generally not that kind of information, no. Okay. But if, if you're playing someone who's like a historian, mm-hmm. you know, historian buff and happens to be an expert in the area that you're in, maybe they would know that. Or someone who's like a devilishly good hacker and you as the game master have decided that that kind of information is available if somebody digs enough. Generally, no, not so much. That's going to be something you're going to have to dig up yourself. Okay. Any previous incidents at that location or near that, that location? So oh, yeah. Bureau records. Yeah. Police records. Incidents like, well, there was this that happened there 20 years ago or a murder happened yeah. there. I think what Bruce is mentioning, though, here is, is that something that's going to be given to them or is that something you're going to have to dig up? That is a question. How much is the agency going to give you? Is the agency going to hack into the police computers or into the police morgue and pull up all that information for you? Or is that something you're expected to do for yourself? No, no, no. The agency's not going to do that for you. That's something you're going to have to do yourself. Well, it's a choice that the campaign has to make. You know what? Let's take that back. Generally, I would say that's something the players have to have to look up. But, you know, we've talked about this before. If it's something that the players absolutely positively need to know to, to get this adventure going, it's handed to them. Right. But other than that, no, I make them work for it. Okay. Because that's half the fun of playing. I'm not going to disagree with you. These are expectations that need to be established at the beginning of the campaign. Certain information, I think, should be available. Because you have Google Maps. That means you have Google Earth. That also means you have a street view. It means you can look around and see what are all the nearby businesses. If there's an occult bookshop across the street, you might want to know that. Right. Or the, or the Church of Satan down the road. 
or maybe just the Church of Holiness down the road, if in fact there's something really bad about to happen, then it might be nice to know there's a place of refuge that you could go to that maybe they couldn't cross into. Right. All these things are resources for you. The neighboring priest or minister might have heard some things. Oh, yeah, and you might have like a homeless shelter down the street because homeless people are always good information. Yeah, you might actually see a homeless person sitting in that street view from Google Earth. That person's probably been there for a long time and is probably still around. Right. That's giving you who's people that are there. Yeah, with street view, you're not going to get any usable pictures of faces because Google's been pretty good at fuzzing them out. But if he's been there through three iterations, he's probably still there now. Also, Google Earth is not incredibly current i've seen that they are maybe months behind on pictures it's nice to get a general area but if you're looking for up-to-date information google earth there's a little too much reality there the bureau has its own spy satellites ah well there you go so you you could get a real-time picture or we get time on the nsa satellites which aren't supposed to be turned down over the united states (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think that the surrounding businesses, who's the officer in charge of the investigation or officers, uh, if there is an investigation going on, who's the name of the coroner if there were dead bodies, who's the mayor, who are the important people in this area that you as a team might be needing to talk to, and if they're really highly indicated, a little deeper. How about some pictures of them? How about some background on them? Maybe getting their bank record, assuming that the Bureau is going to give that to you up front. Or you might want to start hacking for that information as soon as you get on the job. The amount of information you initially give the players is sufficient to solve the adventure eventually. Everything else is them to solve it faster or give a better solution toward the end. Well, I can't agree with that, John, because a lot of my missions start off completely misled. It sounds like something, and it turns out to be something else entirely. I'm guilty of that myself, too, so yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I had one to start off with everyone thinking there was like a a werewolf or an escape ape or something like that, and it turned out to be something else entirely. That's true. That was the one where J.P. Withers uh, accused me of having Nazi mutant clones from Mars. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) See, I've always been very poor about this, and I'll admit it, that I always give them too low information. So they're constantly scrabbling to find people to talk to when they should have a big list of people to talk to. And that really gets them going because then they can say, well, this is more important than that person. While we're talking to these guys, you go bug their homes or bug their phone lines, and we'll start gathering information instead of just going around bumbling and running into street gangs and other things like that, which may slow down the adventure if it's not really part of it. I think the word here is to give enough information to make the players proactive, to get them it's like, okay, we know this. Let's dig deeper. Let's find out more. And then you can go about role-playing, and if need be, role-playing as an R-O-L-L playing. Make your investigate role or make your knowledge roles and go from there gather information. And I think you want to give them enough information to make them confident to go in a direction. Even if it's the wrong direction, at least they're moving confidently that way. Yeah, they're doing something. Yeah, instead of just saying, well, I don't know what to do. If a piece of information is important, provide more than one way for them to get that piece of information. 
One of the main reasons that I really push on this idea of getting a lot of initial information is because the next thing that all of my players want to do, well, what equipment are we going to need in order to succeed in this mission? Without that basic information that we're talking about, they don't know whether they should come in with undercover creep person clothes or whether they should be jet setters or whether they should be driving an Abrams tank down the street. They need information so that they can re make their requests. Because as soon as the clock starts running in my games, I start saying, well, it's going to be a while before uh, Ray can get you that equipment. So you're going to have to deal with what you have in the vehicles or what you've already requested before you left. To me, that, that's one reason I make a big a point about it. They want to be able to make good, effective equipment requisitions. If they have to bust into the nearby armory, it's good to know that up front. So they, they bring the right kind of shaped charges. Yep. To get through the doors. Oh, wait a the, the Cover stories. Cover stories. You can get yourself some uniforms and, the, and print out the appropriate uh, badges. And just walk in, fill out the appropriate requisition forms, and walk out what you need. Yes. That's all part of preparation. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. What you, they should do first is, one, don't try to sell the adventure right then and there. You're not going to solve it. You can't solve the adventure off-site. you got to go there and get more information. You've got your instant report. You've got your list of names. You've got your intel as much as you can get. You've got your equipment. You drive over to where the instant is. What I always do at this point is I try to establish... What has changed in this area? Because most supernatural instances don't just blow up out of nothing. They usually have a history, as you said. Sometimes it's a house that's been haunted. What suddenly changed that caused this to go from a benign or a passive situation into an active situation that the Bureau has to deal with? So that's what I always go looking for, is it? You know, finding out what has changed in the area. It could be new owners deciding to renovate the house. And they're opening up walls and finding things inside those walls. You know, and they could be something as simple as a doll yeah. or something as complex as a body. One of the techniques that I do is I hack into the power and the telephone and the various utilities. And I say, in the last month, who's turned on? new accounts or re-turned on old accounts that weren't just turned off because they weren't being paid. Who's the new people in the area? Conversely, who's been turned off? It's like Ghostbusters. They turned off the grid, right? Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. could happen. Yeah. Sure. Right. You also might want to look around for uh, what shops have opened or closed recently. Are there any buildings in close proximity where anything like really crazy has happened mm -hmm. any churches have closed down or right. you know institutions that should still be open you know institutions that generally stand the test of time who's died right who's died right exactly yeah or even who's been put in the hospital who's been committed yeah who's been released from a mental institution oh that's a good one yeah Who's been released from prison? From prison, right. I mean, all this, these things help identify possible antagonists or, you know, in the area that might be, if they're not doing it directly, they might be causing something to change to unbalance the situation and cause something to happen. And Bruce, I can see that as being something the Bureau might supply. Like, they might supply them the agents with a list of red flaggers. It's like, okay, here's your standard list of potential red flaggers. It would have all those kind of people on it, and 99% of them, and maybe even 100% of them, mean nothing to the adventure. But as the players look at this list, just keep that list handy, 
And as they're going down and they're doing stuff, and they find out, hey, you know, th- that's really weird. The, you know, this this church it looks like it's in great shape, but it's you know it's been boarded up. That, that's just not that's not usual. And then they might look down their list and say, oh, look, a priest died just the, you know two weeks ago. Why would they close the church just because a priest died? That might lend them to start looking in that direction. Once you get to the site, you need to make yourself a good spot for you to actually run your adventure out of. In the show Leverage, they've got this great place. They have like the war room and stuff. They got all the screens and all the information that they can work out to do whatever they need to do. I always think that that's really important for a team to do for a number of reasons. In case something bad happens, it's a place for them to come back together, but it's also a place where they have room to actually do things like, you know, any kind of fabrication or hacking or just a place to rest if they're injured. I'm really afraid for teams when they do nothing but drive around in the Colorado RV, which is a big, huge, 40-foot-long recreational vehicle into every place that they want to investigate and like act like, don't look at the giant RV sitting out there. We're really from OSHA. If you can use your face person in the team to secure a place where you can set up temporary headquarters, that's good. And that would work where the the researching the the general area with like Google Maps and whatnot would come in handy because you can sit there and say, oh, look, there's an abandoned warehouse here. or Oh, look, we have a contact here. We can use his place as a fallback position because Mm -hmm. usually when you go into these towns, you're going to have bureau contacts, people who have been through the supernatural but did not go through the bureau training, but they still work for the bureau in a secondary position. You can say, Oh, well, uh, Jablonski there, he lives uh, three blocks from the site. We can use him as a fallback position. And don't forget regional teams. They may be busy with their own things, but yeah, they may have a spare room or even uh, put you up in their warehouse and let you use some of their vehicles. Right, yeah. If you don't have that, adjoining rooms in a motel can be good, too. And a lot of the motels and hotel chains that are out there on I-60-whatever they have conference centers in them. They have sets of rooms, and you can rent them out saying you're with this organization pulling out some bogus documentation from your document maker and say, we're going to rent out your conference room for the next couple of days. Here's a big pile of money. Is that okay? And they're going to be, yeah, great. Some cities like New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and in this case, Seattle, there's a bureau hotel. It has a 13th floor. If you look at the normal elevator thing, there's no 13th floor, but as long as you use your ID card, you can get to the 13th floor, and it's yours to use. I like that idea, John. I like that a lot. But it's only in a few places because, one, the hotel chains go through a lot of hands, and the the bureau basically has to pretty much own the hotel to be able to get away with this. Yeah. Yeah, You're going to see that sort of thing mostly in adventures in highly urbanized areas. Your big cities, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Washington, Miami, those places, I think that sort of thing would be possible. You're out in the middle of Iowa, maybe not. Yeah. yeah, Detroit, yeah. I, there's several large hotels in, in downtown Detroit. There's the Westin and the Rensen. There's the Pontchartrain. Yeah, those, you know, 20, 30-story buildings, yeah, you're going to have that secret floor where you can do this type of stuff. But the Motel 6 there on the Cloverleaf at I-90 and, you know, in U.S. 34, no. you really can't justify it. I, You know, you're better off there crashing at a supply dump that might have a couple of bunks down in the lower level. 
But I do remember seeing in older books maps of supply dumps, and they had rooms with bunks in them just for agents to crash every so often. One of the things that you, we just said about knowing where the supply dumps are, granted, due to the massacre of 77, some of the lists are a little out of date, as are the stuff there. But still, if there's a place you can crash and fall back to, and if mm-hmm. it's a supply dump and you have you know a place to keep ammo and some equipment... I would think that 40 years later, they would have been able to establish new supply dumps that were reliable. Oh, yeah. In that time, yes. Because 77, yeah, 35 years, yeah. Yeah, you're right on that. Yeah. That was a big problem back in the early days after 77. But if you're playing a modern campaign where it's pretty much taking place now or slightly in the future, you're going to have a more interesting time when you find that there is a old supply dump that was just uncovered, and that would actually be more of a basis for an adventure, going to those old supply dumps and finding what stuff has been leaking out of its protective wards in the supply dump. Charlie, look at this. It's a ball and cap rifle. I wonder how long this place has been lost. (laughs) (laughs) Your team's being assigned to go clean up these supply dumps. Recover all useful items that you can find at any of them. And then restore them to good operation. That would be too extensive and too boring. They're sent on a mission to salvage. Right. After like the third or fourth one, you know, the players are starting to get really bored. You wait until they get just like a little like lackadaisical about their approach. And that's when something nasty is living in there and catches them by surprise. The great lost supply dump that was in Washington, D.C. And no one's seen it ever since. Since 1892. <laughs> Hmm. What's in there? Yeah, lots of things could be in there. You've established a remote base, someplace you could fall back to, a place you can keep your extra vehicles, especially all the different vehicles with the different signs on the sides so that you can drive in and out of the area without looking like you're exactly to match your cover identities. And then you establish cover identities. If you've got a large team, you could be coming at this from multiple directions. You could have the one guy coming in as the OSHA guy. You can have somebody else coming in as investigative reporters. You can have somebody else who's on a walking tour of all the big cities, a a foreigner who's visiting various places uh, out of a love for historical America. All those different people acting as if they don't know each other can create a lot of backup and confusion to the people who are really guilty culprits in this. They'll say, oh, we know who you are, but then they don't know who the other people are because they haven't seen them interacting together as uh, as a group. I've warned teams, don't go in six people. you got six people on your team. Don't all show up in one group and say, hi, we're this. And then when someone doesn't want to talk to you anymore or someone decides to sick somebody on you, they know exactly who you people are, and you've got no fallback. Well, usually one guy on a team anyways, if you're going to be doing all this, you're not going to be sending all of them out. You're going to have to have one guy coordinating back at the base going, okay, well, I can look this up and get you the information in 10 minutes. So, I mean, you're not going to be sending the entire, Mm -hmm. if only someone to watch the vehicle. You're right. You shouldn't be doing that, but I've seen it happen too many times. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Well, the only time I see it work is uh, running a game. A monkey took my jetpack. John, didn't you just run an adventure on monkeys stole my jetpack? Yes. The first adventure, they showed up as Team X-Ray, Ghost Hunters, a reality web show. They would show up in mass with all their various gear and cameras and so forth to investigate the supernatural. <laughs> so ridiculous that no one would really believe that they're doing this anyways. It's like, 
that's ah, just them. Ah, they're a bunch of frauds, and yeah, whatever. Okay, yeah, I yeah. like that. Yeah. It's on that cover story. <laughs> I see what you're saying, John, and, and the biggest problem that players have is that nobody wants to be the person sitting back home, not in the action, and that's the hardest part. Yes. And that's why I always keep them linked together through comm links and things like that and give them something to do so that they don't actually have to be physically exposed on the scene in order to participate. But it's just such a good idea to have a few people held back in reserve, if nothing else, but to be the ones who can come in as the cavalry. Just the old Humvees the Bureau used to have. A lot of those things would go right through walls like they weren't there. Establishing cover identities. In Bureau 13D20, there was, for the Bureau agent class, there was Create Background, which I believe gives a bonus to your forgery skill, mm-hmm. or if you have forgery. Yeah, basically, this is where the document forger comes in big time, because there are, for lack of a better term, kits per state. You have forms for IDs for, you know, Missouri Department of this, and the Idaho Department of that. And you just, whatever state you're in, if you're a wandering team, okay, we need all the stuff for possible IDs in this state. You get it, you crank it out with your document forger, you make your forgery roll. I'm sure that using the, you get an equipment bonus, you're good to go. You have all your paperwork, you're all set, you get all your stories straight among all of you, and you go in and say, okay, we're this, we're doing this, we need to ask this. And you got to make them airtight because there's always going to be that one person that's going to call and check. And I think Bruce said something about going in as we're FBI. It's really easy to call an FBI regional office and say, yes, do you have this agent on your roster? If you're going to set an identity like the police or an FBI, you better have a really good computer hacker who can redirect the phone to that number back to a number you control so you can impersonate that office. I like to stay away from BI, CIA, police, and like you were saying, Trav, you know, OSHA, any other organization that people don't generally know where to call, like NSA, where would you call? You know, every state has their FBI. Most major cities have an FBI office. In Michigan here, I think Detroit and Ann Arbor, they're within 30 minutes, 45 minutes of each other, downtown Detroit and downtown Ann Arbor. So, yeah, that's real easy to contact there. Right. You show up for some reason, figure out a way to, to, to be IRS. People pee themselves when the IRS show up. Oh, yeah, you yeah. got to make it. I mean, it's really good to make it a an agency that, okay, this is an agency. We know it's real. Do we really want to mess with these people and stir up a hornet's nest by poking in, in there? No. So OSHA, uh, FEMA back in the day. I th- oh, FEMA's a good one, yeah. Oh, uh, I think we mentioned on a previous podcast, though, that it got changed around due to Katrina, but... If, you know, you wanted to use them, FEMA's another one, because FEMA was the only agency in the country that could, at least temporarily, circumvent the powers of the Constitution in order to get something done, such as a natural disaster. There are people that aren't going to mess with that. They're going to be like, whoa, okay, this is FEMA, wait a minute, hold on. But yeah, NSA, they're dark enough that most normal people aren't going to contact them anyways. Again, if, if you don't mind doing like a hit and run type of deal, you know, you're going to get in and get out quickly, you know, show up in some biohazard suits. Oh, yeah. We mentioned that one before. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to get with you with a, even with a 10 foot pole. They're like, okay. It's like, we need to go in there. And everybody. Everybody's like, okay, I need to go somewhere other than here. Well, 
You show up in a biohazard suit with a little wand detector going, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. And yeah, you, you'll clear a room really quick. <laughs> <laughs> then you take the chances, then someone pulling out their phone and calling the local television. Sure, sure. Yeah. Or you show up as the bomb squad. Ooh. You know ah, see, here we go with the police again. No, because then they will call oh, the local police and go. No, Trav, what I'm saying is is that this, this is for a hit and run. I'm talking about you're going to go in. And you're not going to look through the files. You're just going to snatch. You're going to take the files. You're going to go in. You're going to move quickly. So you go in. You create a big panic. You get everybody peeing themselves. You go in. You grab what you got to get, and you get out. That, that could work in a house. That could also work in a business. But uh, yeah. But do you want to use it every time? Uh, no. Um, no. Yeah. And you don't want to use it on a government agency. Like if you need to get information out of a police station, you need to rethink that. Or a federal office. Yeah. Actually, with a federal office, show up as the GAO. Now, Trav, you're a Bureau 13 agent, and something really bad has just happened over at that chemical plant. And you're an agent, and you figured out a way to go in there as an OSHA inspector. And What are you going to do when you get there? I deal with chemicals at my job, and I have to deal with things like MSDS, which are material data safety sheets. Find out what that chemical plant does what do they make what do they store what do you use so you know like side effects and things that could possibly happen due to these chemicals and these msds's these are often in thick binders so if you're going in as an osha person you're gonna need to know where they usually are like in my place they're usually near the hr office so you're gonna need to be getting into the office files to do this type of stuff right yeah you're gonna need to know what the chemical plant does access like there are some chemical plants that have like train yards to them like uh, carry them out in like the big tanker cars just various things knowing what you're getting yourself into with this particular chemical plant all chemical plants don't deal with every single chemical they usually deal with a select few for a specific purpose we did a whole podcast on cover identities and how to make good ones the point is you need them yes you need to have cover identities you don't want to walk in and say hi we're from a super secret government agency that investigates the supernatural (laughs) i've actually had teams that tried that assuming that everyone would say oh yeah sure that's what you are right what you're really from like the star right yeah, you know, or this is candid camera back when they did shows like that. Yeah. Uh, or who's the guy who does the? Who's always messing with his friends? Oh, Ashton Kutcher. Punked. Punk. Yeah. This is you're from that punk show. Okay. All right. I see what's going on here. Who are you doing? And of course you say, Oh, we're doing your boss. And all right. And he's like, Okay, I'm on board. That just sounded wrong. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Once you establish a good cover identity, it's going to be a, a great aid to you much as hit and runs are great, they don't provide you with any ongoing information. So you want to establish a good cover identity so that you can then take the next step, which is to get in and put up surveillance everywhere you can, whether it's a a bug on a computer or a bug on a line, a micro television camera, a laser bounce mic, whatever you got to do, you need to put all that stuff out so you got that information streaming in to your base to give you the information you need. Before we go any further, let's talk about one other situation. Okay. Let's say it's some kind of supernatural incident. It's happening to a person, somebody who's living in a house. They're more willing to talk. You don't really have to trick them with the cops or anything like that. How do you approach – there's some old woman. Zool is living in a refrigerator. Zool. <laughs> and you want to send a team in to talk to her. 
you know you're going to go talk to somebody who knows something crazy is going on and you're going to send in an individual. How do you send that person in? Don't think it changed anything because I would never assume that that woman is telling me the truth or is going to tell me the truth. Right. So that's why I would set up surveillance as much as I can and carry a bug on me so we could record our conversations and especially carry that Carillion detector on me. Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, showing up like in a priest outfit. That's a good cover identity. That's fine. Even if she's willing to work with you, it doesn't mean that she's telling you the truth or all the truth. Or that she knows the truth to tell you. I mean, it's great to have someone who's in a situation to really help you and and is willing to cooperate. Right. But that means you now have somebody you have to protect. Right. I always try to marginalize those people as quickly as possible. You said about curly and detectors, Bruce. I mean, the Bureau of Shades have those built in. So you can just walk them with sunglasses and you're being unobtrusive. You're not walking around with this ticking thing like what John said, a wand detector. Bleep, 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 bleep. Hook it around your ear and maybe it's in your sleeve hooked to your wrist PDA. And you're walking around looking, and you're just there in sunglasses. They might see the earpiece at most, and people might mistake it for um, iPod earbuds. Earbuds. Earbuds? You don't want those. Yeah, you could just do that. You got your curling detector. So you don't want to show up with a thing going... That's that's just... That sets people off. (laughs) A little bit. That kind of depends on how you want to run your investigation as a campaign. The curling detector, as they were displayed in Nick Pallotta novels, those were great for an action team. They looked, they saw what was evil, and they went and attacked it. That's not always going to be helpful to you. It doesn't always show you really good levels of detail that you might need. I never actually had the Krillian sunglasses because, first of all, they didn't operate very long. And secondly, is because I always found I could get better and more concrete information from a Krillian detector. You know, that had like seven crystals in it that could show me detailed, accurate readings on seven different magical types or supernatural energies. So I could see, you know, multiple degrees. I mean, there could be some black and some white in the same area. There could be some fey involvement. There could be some high-tech energies, uh, some dimensional shifting going on. All those things I could read off of the same device, where the Corellian detector, assuming we're mapping all these things to a color, you might see a kind of a mishmash, and you'd have to be pretty skilled, I think, to be able to really interpret that. Yeah, basically, I think in D20, we said it it gives you the detect magic ability. And if you even use D20, it'll say amounts of auras, power level, and then you got to make like a spellcraft check, which for D20 Modern, you have to be a mage or an acolyte to have that. And then it tells you what school that magic aura is from. That means you have to, in the D20 classes, you have to be a mage or an acolyte. If you're just a normal Joe, like a PI who got dragged into the Bureau, the Curlian detector in the sunglasses okay there's magic there what type i have no idea i'm a gumshoe i'm a private dick so yeah you're gonna need that specialized detailed detector but if you just got the sunglasses it's good enough to give you okay we have something magical yeah i would definitely want to wear them if i was doing a strike for you know some kind of a uh, and, and the end strike into an area so i could see things hiding in shadows and other things like that that would be great to have right yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you're going to want that further detailing that with the device that you mentioned. Yeah, I would want that. Okay, we have it. We're not going to go waving it around yet. We got the sunglasses. We're clandestine. We're looking around. Okay, we have a ping. Okay, bring in the big gun now. What I've used the Carillions for in the games I've run so far is 
They're the supernatural sense for people who don't have supernatural sense. Oh, there's something supernatural over here. If you also have supernatural sense, you get like a plus four bonus, and this is in Savage Worlds, to your notice roll to notice the supernatural. Then if you want to understand what you found, that's where your arcane lore, your arcane knowledge comes in the, into hand. For D20 Modern, mm. you'd end up with, you'd have to go through your knowledge, mm. arcana, religion, maybe mm. history, go about that route. But yeah... If you find a big, big, big white aura, that's just as bad as finding a giant black aura someplace. If I'm finding a really big white aura, that means, okay, somebody's honked off the wrong person, yeah. Wait a minute, what's white? Like, good magic, I think. Angelic magic, healing magic, divination. Divine. Oh, wait. Divine magic, yeah. But divination as in finding information also. What you're saying is it could be an angel. Well, it could be an angel or it could be a white mage or I'm saying people that are oriented toward magic that, that causes no harm. But doesn't mean it's any less powerful. Because I was going to say, I don't ever want to meet an angel. The only time angels are ever sent to Earth, there's a lot of killing going on. Or depending on the type of angel, there might be a lot of killing going on, yeah. Yeah, they have no sense of humor as far as we can tell. Conversely, there's this ability to detect arcana. That's where they put it. You can see auras depending on the trappings. So yeah, you can see this person cast a spell, use a psychic ability, whatever. Bang! Hey, I can. I'm seeing all the auras everywhere, and that's when you start guys saying, "Okay, looks normal, looks normal." Oh my god! And you, know, you go on from there. Tell them, "Oh, that's a bad thing you're seeing. That's a good thing you're seeing. That's oh my goodness, what you're seeing." This kind of stuff actually could be very distracting away from the actual mission. You know, just let's say, for example, you had somebody who had made a pact with a with a devil. Mm-hmm. And he's got a tremendously black aura as a result. He may be totally incidental. His, his goal might have been he wanted to, like, be the biggest ladies' man in town. So he's running around being a big ladies' man. He's got this big black aura. You're, meanwhile, trying to investigate something else that's totally unrelated. You spend half the mission chasing after this guy and trying to figure out how he's related to the incident. He's not. The whole red herring thing. Yeah. Yes. So being able to detect these things sometimes can be a problem. Oh, yeah. If your players have this kind of ability, then uh, as a GM, I would certainly throw out a few of those red herrings. But I've seen the players do that to themselves where they said, okay, who's got a criminal record in this area? Well, you know, there's 15 people with criminal records. They spend two or three sessions working their way through all these people with criminal records who aren't in any way actually related to the incident. This information has to be, you have to be careful with it, you know, so that it doesn't slow down the game and drag the fun out of it with them chasing too many dead ends. Yeah, I think that would be where we went. We're going to finding the weak links. Right. Where you're finding these things, okay, this doesn't have to do with it. This is a, a dead end. This is a red herring. Uh, this one here, you know, we'll deal with him next time after we're done with this. Oh, him? Oh, yeah, you're on our list. You know, right. things like that. When I, I wrote down Find the Weak Links, what I was referring to primarily is who are the people we can manipulate? Who are the people that we can get to do what we want them to do so that when the final incident comes down, weaken the bad guy by taking away his resources? Oh, read in... Dumb locals, gotcha. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, hey, but it could also be as the bad guy's house. If that's his stronghold, blow up his stronghold. Okay, the bad guy's not <laughs> not so tough anymore.
you dig a big hole in the ground with a hidden cover over it, and evil Kit is not going to come to the aid of evil Michael when he needs to. You need to find out where, well, the antagonist is weak. They're dependent NPCs, if I'm going to use hero parlance. Ah, yeah, there we go. The result of setting up surveillance is that you would end up finding these people, this person, we can deal with him right. and use him to get to the other. Yeah. yeah. Where are their bank accounts? Can we transfer all the money out of them, even for a couple of days? Earth contact. What do you mean by that? Once you've done all this, then you have to go in and talking to the people you think are directly involved, who either are victims or what's causing the situation. The movie Poltergeist team coming in so you guys have a supernatural infestation and that's when they take him to the room where all the toys are flying in the air yeah we have a supernatural you know really the big part is meeting the family these are the people who are being affected by this whatever this, this haunting is and what's going on there this is where you can find out things like oh yeah we had to put in new plumbing so we got to tear out the back wall back here and put new plumbing in in this house that may be the thing that did, did you know pushed it, pushed it over and got it going Got the, got the hunting started because something was removed or misplaced or, or disturbed. You have to have contact with people to determine whether or not they are involved. It might be as simple as going and talking to them and making uh, some kind of a sense motive role and say, no, this person's actually not in, involved. I really believe that this person is an innocent bystander to this. It doesn't mean they're not important. It just means that they themselves are not driving the situation willingly. But then grandma over there, who's busy, you know, cleaning, raising the doilies, grandma seems to be spending an awful lot of time peeking at us from the kitchen. Maybe she's got something that she needs to tell us about. And a lot of these things you don't find out until you're actually interacting with them. Yeah. Right. And, and that's why you're investigators, because you need to go and investigate. Having those cameras on your person facing outwards sometimes can show you who's looking at you from the rear when you're talking to somebody else. That's where the rest of the team doing the surveillance can say, oh, that person has come in and changed the, the water in that pitcher three times now. I saw a shadow in that mirror over there. Or that little girl's been looking at you from behind the curtain several times. The surveillance is also a great way of observing stuff, not in real time. You have a, a thing where these things could happen randomly within a 24-hour period. Well, the fast-forward is your friend. You set up this thing, and instead of sp sitting around for 24 hours in the house, you just basically run through the tele uh, telemetry. But it may be that you need to be there in order to cause it to happen, too. That's why first contact is important. So once you do all these things, and you gather information, you talk to people, you get some ideas to who's responsible, what's going on, where other places should you be investigating, I think it's time to formulate a theory as to what's really going, what I call what's really going on. I used to tell people that the Bureau doesn't tell you what's going on because then it puts blinders on you. If I say this person has all these claw marks on them and puncture marks, oh, I think it's a werewolf or I think it's a, a vampire, then you're going to go in there with wolfsbane and garlic and holy water. It might be some cultist exsanguating people and then causing damage with claws stolen from the local museum to create claw marks on people to cover up the evidence that they did that. The Bureau, by telling you what they think it is, 
can actually totally screw up your investigation. But somewhere in there, the information that you've been able to put together, at some point, someone has to say, oh, I know what's going on, and start throwing out a theory based upon the information that, that the GM has been feeding you all this time because he wants you to eventually figure it all out. So you need that moment where everybody's sitting around and saying, I think this is what's going on. If that's true, what's our plan of action? How do we prove or disprove this? You have joined the most secret government agency that you have never heard of. The 13th Bureau of Justice, otherwise known as Bureau 13. You are a government agent charged with the duty of disposing of the greatest unnatural threats to the people and the, and the economy of the United States and Canada. You will work under the knowledge that you are funded by an organization so secret, even the highest government officials do not know of your existence. Welcome to the elite band of people who wander the dark streets of the night, ever searching for the horrors that should not exist in this modern age. You are a special agent, stalking the night fantastic. Bureau 13 is a Gen Con award-winning RPG of modern horror and paranormal adventure. It's available from Tritag Games at TritagGames.com in both the original editions and in the D20 edition, with a new Savage Worlds edition coming soon. Remember that wherever the supernatural waits, good and evil, the agents of Bureau 13 will be there. But the evil is growing triage and confrontation. Triage is where you say, can we solve this? If we can't solve this, what can we do or how far are we willing to go in order to deal with this, to, to resolve this situation? Is this something we really have to do? Because one of the things that would have happened way back under setting up surveillance would be to determine if this was in fact a supernatural incident. This could be something that's like a con game and if it is, that's not the Bureau's problem. Yeah, in that case, then, we need to, as Bureau agents, extricate ourselves from the situation. This is not the situation you were looking for. Move along. Yeah, I believe there was an adventure in one of the Bureau 13 books where, oh, it's a haunted house and there's monsters peeking out the window. And you find out it's some special effects wizard making a ro little robotic thing poking its head up. That's not supernatural. Oh. The Bureau's oh. like, no, that's not us. If this is, in fact, something that is not supernatural, hypernatural, you know, science fiction, whatever, if your team feels like there's something bad going on and there's people getting hurt, well, you know, you can take all that surveillance information that you put together and just drop it into some aspiring police officer or uh, investigative reporter's mailbox. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to disappear and not do anything to make it better. The aspiring police officer, I like that, yeah. It could turn out to be some creepy serial killer who's doing some really amazingly off-the-wall stuff. You know, while you want to stop him, if it's not supernatural, that's not the Bureau's job. You know, and that's where you would turn that information over. I know of at least one movie where the protagonist was a guy who was making the illusion that he was a voodoo priest and had supernatural powers in order to gain influence on all the people in a section, of a, like a downtown area. He was controlling the crime and everything else because they thought he had powers, but he didn't. He was just using drugs and special effects and to pull this off, and of course their own fears. 
if you have real mages on your team, you could say, let's make this real for him then. Or you could just simply go and he's not real. He's not our problem. Let's give it to somebody whose problem it is. But what if, you know, they discover it's something that is beyond their ability? I don't know, some kind of arch demon or something coming through and or, or has come through. We were too late. They might be out of the team's league and that might be part of, you know, part of the mission. Yeah, that might be part of the adventure. No, you're not supposed to engage it, you big dummy. That would be the realm of the X-teams. Right. Teams that are made specifically for hard-hitting, come in like a SWAT team, and just done. Right. I have in my own campaign what I call Omega teams. When the Mm. threat is that bad, I tend to run a little bit higher-powered campaigns. But these are the teams that come in and are like, there's an interdimensional plague an alien invasion, and a demonic infestation. All at the same time, bring in the Omega team. That's when things get too hairy and you're just like, okay, this is, as I say, this is beyond our pay grade. Right. Obviously, you're not going to plan something that bad. If you're a decent game master, you're not going to plan something that bad where you have to bring in NPCs to help out. That's as, almost as bad as railroading. It's okay to do it as long as you give the team something to do. Even a secondary goal, yeah, then the players will still feel like, okay, we're still making a difference. Yeah, but Trev, the adventure could be there was a lot of footwork to discover that. Your team is actually the heroes for discovering it and being able to call in you know, the hard-hitting team. Otherwise, you know, maybe it's this invasion that's going on secretly, and it's just like uh, no one even knew it. And that's you know something that the Omega team couldn't do. You know, they're not good at doing um, investigations. You know, low level investigations where they're finding anomalies and taking data and talking right. to people, and you know th- that's just not their job. They're not good at that. They're you know if they're not killing something, they're not doing what they do well. Let's say your regular street level team comes in and discovers this, but there's no way they can take it on. They call on the X team. You're still going to want the players to do something and not just stand back. Okay, we're done. The X team's going to take care of it. That's still kind of a cheat. It would make most players feel like we weren't instrumental in some way in stopping this. Yeah, we discovered it. Do something like the Omega team is taking care of the big threat. Let's say it is an arch demon and the team can't take care of that arch demon. That arch demon is still just by the the nature of its ego is going to have little demons running around. You can let the player characters deal with them. These little imps and quasits and methods coming in and they're blown away with shotguns and their spells and stuff. So the players are still doing something. They go up against that arch demon though. They're going to end up blood soup. Well, either that or, or Trav, you could have the main bad guy, anti-priest or whatever, who has summoned this demon and brought him here. Maybe he split, calling the Omega team. They're like, all right, we'll take care of this immediate threat. You go find him, track him down. Yeah, right, yeah. The players still have to do something in order to, you know, be a part of the solution, not just right. discovering it. That's like the NPCs coming in save today, and 99% of players just despise that. See, that way, they're not fighting the, the big nasty. Right, right. Well, they're still being instrumental. Yeah, they're still going after the big bad guy because well, let's say the Omega team beats this arch demon or whatever, right? Well, this guy who summoned him is still out there. He could summon up another one. So <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It's, it's really important to take care of this guy. Evil loves to corrupt the innocent. So there's probably some people out there that are in harm's way mm-hmm. that your team could be rescuing, getting out of the war zone while the rest of it's going on. 
Oh yeah, yeah, rescuing innocence. Oh yeah, if you're playing good characters, that always you know pumps up your ego. It's like, yeah, that's right, man. We saved 15 people from a burning building that this archdemon set on fire. Yeah. The happiness plot. They discovered what was causing the problem. Looked at it and said, "We can't handle this. Let's let's call in." It wasn't even my part of my solution. I knew they could handle it. They decided that they couldn't handle it and left. Called in the the, the X teams or McGann's Rangers to take care of it. So they decided on their own that they could handle the issue. Some teams don't want to do the combat part of it, and that's okay. I mean, you have to give them a feeling that they've accomplished their goals. If you do that, then then it's all gravy. You said about triage and confrontation. Triage would also would that also include preparing for the confrontation, saying, "Okay, we're going to go in, we're going to take this thing out. We need to know what we need to have for the combat part of this." As part of it, it's also saying to yourself, "You know, we can't save everybody. Sometimes you have to make hard choices." Well, yeah, but one of the things I'm saying for triage, this would be where doing your research Oh, we're dealing with vampire. Call the bureau and requisition bane weaponry, things mm-hmm. like that. Or you know, yeah. because we did our discussion. I believe it was you, me, John, and uh, Rich was in on that about banes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that would be something triage researching for. I mean, you've done all this research to find out what it is. Right now, you're doing your research. Okay, how are we going to take this thing down? Oh, it's this type of vampire because. More than one type of vampire. We've had this discussion, too. Okay, we need this particular type of Bane or this particular type of lycanthrope. Silver may not work on this, but Wolfsbane will. So that's when you call in a requisition Bane Mm. weaponry from the Bureau or particular information. Yeah, it's silly to go into the final confrontation poorly equipped if you have time to get the right stuff. Yeah. Because you're not going to be carrying every single thing with you constantly. You, there are times you're going to have to call in and say, okay, we got 15 minutes, we need this drop now. Hauntings are a different kind of thing, because usually with hauntings, it's finding out what's causing the spirit to be tied to the mortal plane. What's causing this ghost to haunt this house? Now you got to figure out, oh, we just can't just simply dispel magic, because that, that won't work. Exorcism, all it does is makes them go away for a week and come back. We have to find out what's causing them to be tied here. We have to actually solve their murder, or we got to figure out why they committed suicide. And if you find out that the reason that they're coming back is because their murderer is right there, now what do you do? Yeah. Some hauntings don't have dead bodies, because some hauntings can be caused by extreme emotions. Maybe the person who abused this person is still around, but they did it in a situation where the intense emotions caused the haunting to, to occur. Some other spirits been affected by, by this abuse, and now they it's acting out for that person. And everyone's still alive, including the victim. But now you got to figure out who's the victim, who's the perpetrator. And now you got to use that to help put down the, the thing that's causing problems. It can be really messy sometimes. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Confrontation resolution would be, okay, we've managed to end this. We have found out what caused the haunting. We have, you know, take care of the vampire. or We have secured the monster for transport to be taken elsewhere. Yeah, you got to do something about it. Yeah. Just can't know what the problem is. You got to do something about it. Yes, and it could be something as John saying, going about 
resolving if it's a haunting okay then we have to track down the murderer we have to take care of the the guy who is there and killed them or we have to perform some act like this person wanted to do something and they couldn't do it and we have to do it for them and then they can be laid to rest or if it's something as simple as combat go in with weapons locked and loaded you know right if it's a vampire hey uh, not silver bullets um and I don't want to use ultraviolet bolts from all Underworld. That was just, no. <laughs> Garlic and steaks, yeah. Go with spear guns or crossbows with oak steaks. <laughs> oh, yeah, like in Monster Squad. I remember that movie. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're styling the Wayback Machine. Yeah, but, but don't forget about the Renfields, though. Vampire will probably have a handful of Renfields he got to deal with. These are people who aren't dead. They're his lackeys. Yeah, that's all part of uh, finding the weak links and setting up your surveillance. No one... What the situation is before you go on in. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to know how to stake out a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you got to the point. <laughs> uh, that would suck if you're sitting there. Yeah, we're all ready to get in the vampire. And you find out that the Renfield shoots you in the back. And Yeah. Good research there, guys. Thanks. Yeah. We get taken out by Artie Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then when it's finally over, it's not over until you do the cleanup because you work for a super secret government organization that wants to remain super secret. And that means you have to make sure that there's no exposure. Anyone who's seen something, either you convince them to be quiet, convince them to forget, or make it seem like there's a better, more reasonable explanation than the truth. I would say there are two ways of this facet cleanup. There is disinformation, which is making people, uh, yeah, uh, you know, like uh, we'll use the old uh, swamp gas that reflected off of Venus and a weather balloon, and evidence dispersal. Again, the Bureau agent class in B13D20 has cleaners, people specifically trained not only to disinform, but they also know evidence dispersal okay, we need to get our people in the hazmat suits to clean up that glowing green stuff there on the ground that was from the gunshot wounds. We can't have that leaking into the sewers, you know. And, oh, the claw marks on that wall, well, we need to get rid of them so people don't know that there's something six feet tall with claws that was running around here. So, yeah, you need psychological and physical removal of evidence. So, Well, sometimes the evidence is simply getting rid of the whatever's causing the problem. And if it's gone, you have people there making claims that they saw something, but as long as they don't have any photographs or any evidence, they're crazy people talking about something. They're just looking to get on TV or, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they end up on Jerry Springer or something. Yeah, but yeah. still, you need to dig really deep with that because there's the saying, once something gets on the internet, it stays forever. You need yeah. to get your hackers in and go, okay, we need to find anything that has to do with this get it and that's where the hacking comes in get in and get it out of there if there's enough smoke someone's gonna think there's some fire right exactly or let's say you back like star magazine or inquire or whatever you have an inside agent reporter who works there the bureau never backs the weekly world news right (laughs) (laughs) best investigative reporting on the planet But you just make sure that a, a story's in there just to uh, undermine its, you know, reliability. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think your means of cleanup are going to depend on the composition of your team. Now, if you have a bunch of investigators and hackers, fine. The BS Brigade is on and you clean up any computer records. If you have people with supernatural abilities, a good mind wipe of certain things going in and going, okay, this person doesn't remember that person. It depends on the composition in your team. Again, we did a podcast on the makeup of a bureau team. So I think that would depend on who you have on your team, how they would go about doing that. And don't forget, you have the amnesia pills. Oh, yeah, I forgot about those. But I'm bummed. Enough little flashy thing. We don't have a neuralizer. That's a different game. Right, right. Yeah. No, we have amnesia pills, which make them forget that you ask them to take the amnesia pill. Or you turn into a vegetable. But those are really rare occurrences. Wow. That's hardcore there, John. (laughs) Totally making somebody a tabula rasa just because they saw, you know. Look it up. It's in the rules. Sometimes these things are so horrific, you're doing them a favor if they don't even remember who they are anymore. Wow. That that would have to be a really bad thing. (laughs) Yeah. But I imagine if that actually did happen, I think the Bureau would feel responsible for doing something for them. If you're playing a realistic game, then those percentages mean that even with your best efforts, there's still going to be tragedy. That's part of the game. That's part of what makes you required to make moral choices. Yeah, conflict, yeah. Sitting there wondering, do we let this person remember, or do we just... But if you're playing a lighthearted Bureau game, then no, don't do things like rob a person of his most cherished memories. Can't even remember the, the smile on his little girl anymore. Don't do that. Do you feel like you have some problems you need to talk to somebody? You hand them the card for one of the Bureau-sponsored therapists whose job is to implant false memories and make them think it's something totally different. Right. And you could also recruit them for the Bureau. If they've been through that much and they survived, there's the door for Banger Maine. Here you go. We'll vouch for you. <laughs> yeah. Much as we're saying this is the best steps to take, doesn't mean there's not going to be a body count on your team side by the end of the mission. You may need replacements. They'll trust you because the team helped that person survive. So, yeah, it's it's if it's that bad where it's causing great cycle, the Bureau has therapists in Bangor, Maine. During that year of training, they could be sitting there laying on the couch going, oh, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> you want to see horrible? Look at this. Blah! Okay. You know. <laughs> Thank you, John. It's Mr. Sensitivity yeah. over here. Yeah. yeah well, Mr. Sunshine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our resident Don Rickles, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a pretty good survey of a really well-run Bureau investigation. Uh, We had to generalize, of course, because every Bureau admission is different, and it covers everything from dimensional shifts to ancient astronauts to blobs coming up out of the sewers from the most recent foods supplement at the bread store. Anything's possible. All stories are true in Bureau 13. We can't give you the hard and fast on every possible mission, but these steps, I think that if you follow them, I think you'll find that you're much more effective as a team and enjoy the game a lot more. Oh, yes. As we keep saying, if you have other ideas, if you've come up with other things, if you want to let us know what you've done, we have our forums at tritacgamers.com. We have Facebook pages. 
I believe the Facebook page for Bureau 13 is... Bureau 13, agents everywhere. You can post on that. It's open. You can just, you know, let us know what you've done as far as how you've run Bureau 13 investigations. Right. Make sure you check it out because we have a lot of activity on there. You don't want to miss out. Yeah, it's flared up recently. Just boom. It's like Mm -hmm. wildfire rushing. Yeah, so make sure you get in there and jump in. That's right. Yes, our Yahoo groups for Bureau 13 are still going strong. So by all means, get in on there and check us out. And you can always order the Bureau 13 game direct from TriTac Games at www.tritacgames.com. Oh, yes. You yes. can start your own campaign with your friends, and we'll be here to help you any way we can. We have decades of experience between the four of us. Oh, easily over a century combined, yes. <laughs> and we'll be glad to help you through anything that you need because we've all been there. We've all been to the wrong side of the of the adventure, and so yes, in yes, ways yes. we are, folks. We are your cautionary tales. And plus, if you if you send us any questions, you know we always answer questions on the show, and we generally do them pretty promptly. So even though we have backlogs of shows, if we get some questions in, uh, we'll address them right away and post them as fast as possible. Yeah. We'll give you an immediate answer, a quick answer, right there on the forums. And then we'll go and give you a detailed answer on the next available podcast. So there you go. I can't ask for more than that. I'm making a new group, fans of the TriTech podcast on Facebook. And there you go, folks. Another route to get in and uh, talk to us about what you've done with the various TriTech games. And make sure you keep an eye out for us at conventions. You know, we're always going to conventions all year long. We're all in different states. You know, we're all over. So wherever you are, you know, keep an eye out. We'll, we'll make announcements here as well. Do you mind if we say what particular areas we're in? I mean, we travel throughout the country when we can, but I mean, each of us are in various states. I'm in the Detroit area, so that would be uh, Confusion, Conclave, PenguinCon, YomaCon, PyCon. Those are the ones that I frequent, and MarsCon in Minneapolis in March. Anybody else? I live in Maryland, do Balticon. I also travel up north quite a bit to the uh, to New England area because I have friends up there. So, you know, I do TotalCon, I might do OGC, I might do Kineticon, maybe. But then I also go down and visit my friend Bruce here <laughs> down in Atlanta, and I, uh, I do DragonCon now because that's a fantastic convention. Right. And down here in the southeast, Atlanta specifically, I do DragonCon. I also run games at GenCon. Uh, I go up to Chattanooga. And um, I'm also doing a, another small convention in Atlanta called TimeGate. The point is that we do run games at local conventions, and we're yeah. always willing to demo a game for you guys over Skype. That's how we record the podcast, we're, yep. and it's a free app. We would love to go and set up a demo game for you guys so you could really get the taste of how these games are supposed to run and really get yourself excited about them. Oh, talking about the conventions, I'm doing Dragonflight this year in August. They're running three games, two Fringeworthy games and one Bureau 13 game. So, okay, stop on by. Uh, yes, my next game that I'll be running, it is a free gaming convention at Adrian College in Adrian, Michigan. It's known as PyCon. I will be running a Fringeworthy D20 game there. P-I-C-O-N. Google that, and I believe that would give you the direct website for that. So, yeah, we run games, yeah. come in. Talk to us. Let us know what you've done and what you'd like to hear from us, and we can help you bring the awesome to your game. Right. We not only run free games, we give prizes. Oh, yes. 
Well, thank you for joining us for another TriTag Games podcast, and we hope that you'll join us next week and every week as we bring you the awesomeness of the TriTag Games. But until next week, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, We'll be after your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.